So uh, this series, uh, first of all, I'm Jason Poling. I'm the senior pastor here. I realized I didn't introduce myself last week for those of you uh, who don't know me. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that we're doing the series that we're doing now, which is Speak Lord for Your Servant is Listening, is that we want to kind of introduce New Hope to folks who are new to New Hope. So uh, it, we know that we've got folks who are visiting who have not been part of the body before and maybe wondering sort of what our deal is. We want to introduce you all to us. But the other thing is we want to remind ourselves of who we are. Uh, if, you, if you recall, throughout Scripture, God keeps calling his people to remember. He keeps telling them, uh, now go and set up this pile of rocks here so that when you go by this place and your, your son says, hey, what's up with the pile of rocks? You can say, well, that's where God led his people to go through the, through the, the river on, on dry land. So we, we set that up so that we can remember what's, what, what's going on. O oftentimes uh, in scripture, what we're called uh, to do is to remember God's faithfulness. And uh, when we, when we uh, articulate uh, who we are, it's, it's in many ways to remind ourselves because we can be forgetful of who we are. So part of what we want to do with this series is, is to introduce ourselves to new folks. Partly, we also want to remind ourselves of who we are. And um, the, the title for this comes, of course, from uh, the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, where Samuel says, Speak, Lord, uh, for your servant is listening, as Eli tells him to. That's the, the Hebrew phrase, Daber Adonai Ki Shamea Avdecha, that's up on the, uh, the beautiful stained round stained glass window up there. And as we talked about last week, we want to be a church with an attitude of saying to God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, rather than speak, Lord, and we'll think about it. But we want to be people who have, instead of having our finger in, our air in the air and our, our ear to the ground, we want to have our knees to the ground. And we want to have our ears open to what the Spirit is saying to his people. One of the most important ways that we do that, of course, is through the reading of Holy Scripture. Now, one of the things I'm especially excited about for this winter and spring is that our house church has, uh, has decided on what we're studying. Our house church meets Sunday night, and we've decided that for the winter and spring, we're going to study the one-chapter books of the Bible. There are five of them. Anybody know them offhand? Fi correct, Philemon, yes. Jude, yes. One of them's in the Old Testament. Obadiah, and then Second and Third John, and Philemon. Yeah, we're doing them out of order. Uh, so, and tonight we're going to start with Second John, and and because this is the sort of thing that we'll do from time to time, uh, we're actually going to take a month on each one. So, five one-chapter books, five months. Why not? And, you know, as I'm thinking about the fact that we're doing this, it, it reminds me that there are, are significant points of continuity and discontinuity between New Hope and the church that planted us. I talked last week about how uh, there's, uh, in, in, in the story of the gospel, we find both continuity and discontinuity. Continuity with what God was doing before, uh, but also discontinuity in that he's doing something that's new and surprising. Uh, in our case, we were planted by a church in a Timonium, Grace Fellowship Church, which is a, a solid church, uh, terrific 
place, and we inherited some wonderful DNA from them. Uh, and one of the areas where we in inherited some excellent DNA was in, in the area of community and our commitment to house churches. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, a place where there's some discontinuity, uh, in part, has to do with the way that we handle scripture in, in uh, our activities here at New Hope. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Grace is a, a church that is, uh, that is faithful to, to scripture, that, that preaches it. it um, I, I don't want to suggest anything, anything untoward there. But what I will say is that there are some things that we have done here at New Hope that are a little different from what was done uh, at Grace, at the church that, that planted us. Anybody familiar with Mario Batali? Okay, we have not had him preach. Um, <coughs> he, he is not one of the Mario brothers, in fact, Rick. <laughs> Thanks for letting me clear that up. <laughs> Mario Batali is one of these big TV chefs. And um, one of the fun things, anybody remember Bibolo? Bibolo was the chain of local bookstores. It basically was, was uh, French for uh, scam. Uh, apparently, like the owners basically sucked all this money out of the, the operation and then went off. Um, but uh, one of the things that was fun while it was, while it was happening was they would bring in these authors. And I remember Mario Batali was one of the authors that they brought in. And I think this was down uh, at the, the Canton location. They had him in. He was, was uh, talking about his new book and signing it. And, uh, and he, there was some time for questions. So uh, I said, well, so I have a question about about a about prosciutto, right? Prosciutto is this wonderful uh, cured Italian ham. It's very very good. It's very expensive, and um, and I I had said you know so I've been learning from watching like your cooking show and reading your cookbooks and learning from other people that you're supposed to uh, render bacon fat. That you're supposed to take bacon and render out the fat and then use that either um, um, clarify it and use it for something else or just cook stuff in it. I said so it got me thinking. Can you do the same with prosciutto? Because right, prosciutto is like bacon made out of pig, um, and uh, another of his colleagues would often uh, speak to of the wonders of pork fat. So I said, I'm wondering because it, I know it's like it's cured and it's often cured for a long time. Is is it is it okay to do that? Um, and he said, you not only can render prosciutto, you should. In other words, there's something you're missing out on if you're not making the most of this magnificent ingredient, not least the getting the full value out of what you paid for it. And so I think in, in much the same way that we would hear him tell me not only we can we do that, we should, our approach to scripture has been one of you not only can read the whole thing, you should so our preference at New Hope has been to take our time going through Scripture, to uh, preach entire books of the Bible, and to do so somewhat slowly. I think our experience at Grace, for the most part, was that usually, like many evangelical churches, um, we would do series, maybe four, six, eight at the outside week series. They often would be topical, and, there, and there's a a place for those um, at New Hope. In fact, we usually in the summertime will do a, a, a thematic series where there isn't as much continuity from one week to the next, not least because there are people who are, are going to be out of town for vacation or whatnot. 
Um, and uh, we will do uh, thematic series over Lent and Advent often, but usually what those will be kind of to break up longer series where we go through whole books of the Bible. And I think there are two main reasons for that. One is irritation. Many of us found ourselves annoyed when we would be sitting in church on a Sunday morning and the preacher would say, well, I don't have time to go into it, but, uh, or say, well, we need to skip ahead. And we'd be like, you know, you're the dude up on stage with the Bible and the mic. We're not going anyplace. I'm not making you leave. <laughs> you could keep talking if you wanted to. You could keep talking about this for, for months. And, uh, and you know, you, so you would have maybe a six-week series on, on a, one of the shorter books of Paul, but then one of those weeks got taken up with some uh, world event, some crisis that had to be talked about. And we just kind of always felt like, you know, there's more there that we're missing. We never really felt like we were sucking the marrow out of, out of a book. I remember one time there was a five-week series on the book of Philemon, which is one of those one-chapter books. And, you know, the joke was it was really easy. You just, you know, you didn't have to bring your whole Bible. You just photocopy the one page and carry it with you. Uh, and, and that was uh, notable because it was so unusual that we would take so long going through something. So we would be annoyed. And I think the reason sometimes we were annoyed at that uh, is founded in our understanding of sacred scripture. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. In our doctrinal statement, you can look it up on the website. Basically, our doctrinal statement is the Nicene Creed. It's one of the great creeds of the church. It's very theologically rich. It's solid. It's a, something that we, we recite every time we take communion. Uh, but the reason that we put uh, the creed as our doctrinal statement is, and we say this in our doctrinal statement, because we believe that it is a faithful and an effective way of encapsulating what it is that God has to proclaim to us in Holy Scripture. There's a whole lot of material here. It's kind of hard to just say, well, the Bible's our doctrinal statement. Um, the creeds are very helpful. They're like, they're like reading glasses. They're, they're lenses that enable us to read Scripture and to understand it well. And they have a place. But, uh, but they are, of course, always uh, accountable to what God has revealed in Scripture. Same thing, incidentally, goes for our discernment. You know, we talked last week about how New Hope is a place where we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And, and our, our leadership has tried to adopt the attitude of, of prayerfully hearing from God as to what he would have us do. But when we do that, that's always accountable to what God has revealed in Scripture. Because, as you know, there are plenty of times when a group of people have gotten together and say, hey, we think God is calling us to do something. And it's patently not what God would want them to do because it involves doing things like, you know, blowing up buildings or killing a bunch of people. Um, what we're about is being faithful to this word that God has given us, to all of it. And so I was, I was struck when I was reading a couple months ago in, in the daily office. You know, in the prayer books, there's the daily office and it gives you different, different texts to read every day. And the text was from the end of the book of Revelation. It's a shame that Beth Fails is not here today. Beth, Revelation is Beth's famous book, favorite book. She's, uh, she loves Revelation. Uh, but at the end of Revelation, John says this. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If any one of you adds anything to them, God will add to you the plagues described in this scroll. And if any one of you takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from you your share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. kind of sobering, isn't it? I remember when I first read this, I believe the way the word scroll was translated, it was book. And of course, when I first read this, I was encountering it, uh, thinking of the Bible as a whole, i.e. the Bible as a book, rather than as a collection of books, which is what it is. And so I'm thinking, well, that's a pretty serious way of ending the whole book. If you take anything away... All the plagues described in this book are coming on you. If you add anything to it, then your share in this city is being taken away. It was, <coughs> I guess, a, a slight comfort when I learned that really what John is referring to here is only the book of Revelation. And he didn't know at that point that his book was going to be the last one in the whole collection. On the other hand, when you look at what some of these plagues are, that's pretty tough. If you go back in chapter 16, ugly festering sores, the sea turns to blood and every living thing in it died. So no more sushi. The rivers and springs of water become blood. The sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. darkness, the rivers dry up, and evil spirits that look like frogs come out, and then massive hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds. Now, whether we're to take this as literal or whether we're to take this as figurative or whether we're to take this as hyperbole or whether we're to take this as specific measurements is kind of beside the point. The point is you don't want any of this coming down on you. Um, and again, even if we take John's threat here at the end of Revelation as a, a literary device, as hyperbole, we still need to take seriously what he's saying, which is that these are not things that are to be taken away, and these are not things that are to be added to. Which is to say, we don't get to pick and choose what parts of Scripture we like and which parts we don't. And we don't get to add things to it that we think are missing. As I see all kinds of controversial issues being debated in the church. I'm brought back again and again in my mind to this passage. We don't get to say, well, clearly God forgot to say that the really bad people are the ones who drive SUVs. Or that the really, the worst sin of all is the one that you're doing that I don't find myself interested in. But we also 
are not supposed to say, yeah, that one thing he said you're not supposed to do. Well, I don't like that he said you're not supposed to do it, so maybe it's okay. I don't think that's the way we're supposed to approach Scripture. That's not the way it's been given to us. And the reason I say that is because of what Scripture itself says. And many of these passages will be familiar, but let me remind you of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, Mark, definitely one thing we're going to need is more lighting up here. Um, In chapter 3, Paul says, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when Paul talks to Timothy about Scripture there, what's he referring to? Not all this. He's referring to this part. New Testament, when Paul had written this, now some of it had been written, some of it hadn't. But Paul is referring to Torah, to the law, the prophets, and the writings. And he treats that, those texts, with great respect and veneration. Paul never quotes these, uh, the Old Testament prophets or the Psalms and says, but I disagree. No, he uses those passages to show the ways in which what God was doing is being sustained and moved forward in what Paul is doing according to God's call. Jesus himself, when he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't think, don't you get any idea that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Indeed, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from Torah until everything is accomplished. And he says this at the beginning of a speech, of a sermon, in which he says, you have heard it said, and now I say to you. I think that's a a particle that's often mistranslated. People read it as Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but forget that, because now I say. No, Jesus said, you know, you heard it said you can't murder anybody. Now let me unpack this a little more. Let me tell you what, what that really means is that if you are harboring anger against your brother, and it, it, that actually constitutes a violation of the commandment against murder. He, he's not denying that. He's intensifying it. He's, he's bringing out a third dimension. But Jesus is, a- and this is one of, the, one of the greatest exercises I went through when I was in seminary, at the beginning of our, uh, beginning of our class on, on the doctrine of, of, of Christ, we went through the all four Gospels, and we had to go home, we had to go through all four Gospels and, and look at everything that Jesus said, explicitly or implicitly, about Scripture. And if you look through, Jesus never says, you have heard it said, but you know, you can kind of take that or leave it. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, I know that there was that thing that that nasty, old, vindictive, wrathful Old Testament God that wanted to take away all your fun said, but I'm all about the party, so never mind that stuff. No, Jesus said, you know, 
You, you think that's rough. Actually, that's only a slice of the fullness of what I have to tell you. And I think the reason Jesus said that is because, as Peter tells us in his second letter, he says, you know, we have the prophetic message of something completely reliable. You'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you have to understand, Peter says, that no prophecy came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. These guys did not go off and say, hey, I got an idea. Let me write this big story up about how God told me that I had to go and marry a prostitute, and then I can kind of exposit that as a story about how God loves his people, but they're unfaithful to him. And I'll call it Hosea, and it'll be a bestseller. That's not how it worked. Prophecy never had its origin in human will. Rather, prophets, though they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word that we have is given to us by God. The people who wrote it were writing it according to what the Spirit was leading them to do. They were being carried along as they wrote it by the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that they were sitting there taking dictation, saying, what, pro prostitute, okay. No, it, they, these were human beings who expressed what God was inspiring in, in their own particular idiom. But they were bringing the word of God. I mean, look at Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Basically, like a massive love letter to the word of God. This is the kind of attitude towards scripture, one of, of deep gratitude of saying, I am the luckiest guy in the world because I have this Torah. This attitude of, of receptiveness, an attitude of, of deference, posturing yourself as a receiver of what God has to say to you rather than as a judge over it. Eugene Peterson, one of the, he's the person who translated the message, and he's uh, an outstanding uh, pastor, a translator, a theologian. He said that exegesis is, exegesis being kind of the, the faithful uh, study of scripture. He said it, it's a sustained act of humility. It's taking the posture of being a learner, of being somebody who has something that you need to receive from this word that God has given, not as somebody who is going to decide which parts you want and which parts you don't. And so how that is cashed out for us at New Hope is that when we have studied the Bible and when we've preached the Bible, we have been all over the place. We actually try to make a, a habit of, of uh, dealing with, uh, with the various parts of the scripture that God's given us, not neglecting any one of them for too long. So we have gone through the entire Gospels of Matthew and John. Uh, we've gone through the letters uh, of Hebrews and of 1 Corinthians. We did 2 Corinthians kind of quick. We did Romans not very quick. 
Now, Romans, okay, it was four years, but actually if you took out all the little thematic series we did for summers and whatnot, it was only 26 months. We did a series on the Old Testament, a 39-week overview of the Old Testament. Sermon on Judges in the middle of that nearly got me fired. And I only talked about the first half of Judges. Second half is where it really, really, really gets scary. We preached, and I know you are fondly remembering this one, the book of Ezekiel in 43 weeks. That nearly killed all of us. If I were to do that again, and I'm not planning to, I would not leave the last nine chapters for an unair-conditioned building in the summer. I think one of my favorite series that we ever did was the one we did the other summer. I don't think that verse means what you think it means. We took about a dozen of the most beloved verses from Scripture that people quote out of context or people use in ways they shouldn't. And we said, yeah, you know, that's actually not what it says. And the reason we do that is not because we want to go around, like, killing people's fun. And it's not because we want to make people, you know, rip things off their bumpers. The reason we do that is that we are accountable to this word that God has given us. And if as we read it, we come to understand that we have read it amiss. Not just that we've come to understand that we need to tweak our reading, but if we've come to understand fundamentally the way we were reading something doesn't work, then it's incumbent upon us to say, hmm, much as I like that, what that is is my fond idea of what that verse is. It's not actually what that verse says. So what's coming up for us in terms of our pulpit ministry is that after this brief series on why we do what we do the way we do it, Joe has a Lent series planned for us. And then right after Easter, we're going to do 1 Corinthians again. Partly because the last time I planted a church, we started with 1 Corinthians. And I think that turned out pretty well. And in a lot of ways, mostly it is because we're planting, we being myself and the people who are part of the new St. Hilda's congregation are going to be planting a new church and working through uh, a book that Paul wrote to a severely dysfunctional congregation is a great way, I think, to tee up some of the issues that arise when we think about what it is for us to be the church. But we're also doing it because after 12 or 13 years, my guess is there are some things that we'll see a little differently. There are some things that we may see more clearly, and there will be, be things I'm sure that we thought we saw clearly that maybe we think we need to understand in a more nuanced way. There may be things that we'll look at and say, you know, I think we were reading that wrong 13 years ago. To the degree I am going to listen to my old sermons, partly it'll be as a discipline to promote humility. But it won't be so that I can take a shortcut to preparation. I'll be interested in seeing the ways that we look at a passage from a different angle this time. What I can tell you is that last time it took us 33 weeks to go through 1 Corinthians. This time, we'll see.
Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, so that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.